This morning, we are looking at Acts 23, 1 through 11. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say, there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge all of them. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Thank you. Well, good morning. Hey, I needed to do a a little survey with you, and I want you to respond uh, verbally to a statement I'm going to make. And if you like the statement, uh, respond with a clap or a yes or or just something positive. Uh, If you don't like the statement, just do like a boo or uh, no way or... Uh, anything like that. So here's the statement. You ready? <laughs> That's perfect. That is per- <laughs> uh, Kay Grant, everybody. I love that one. It's good being a body of Christ. I like it. All right, here's the statement. I started playing Christmas music three weeks ago. (laughs) Got some mostly applause, I think. No, No, you know what? That's a true statement about me. And uh, three weeks ago, I was up in the mountains, and there was a lot of snow. A lot of snow. And so I started to play Christmas music. Uh, in October, 
and I got totally harassed for it. And the statements are made, and they're often made, it's not even close to Christmas time. And we, we got to get through Halloween, you know, that's coming up. I mean, we don't want to forget Halloween, you know. <laughs> that's coming up. And we always make statements like that, that, that we're just not ready for Christmas. It's not time quite yet. But what is Christmas? Christmas is God's amazing, radical love for us and that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. That God became flesh. He invaded humanity. Because God loved us so much, he needed to send his son, ultimately to pay the price for our sin on the cross, and then to rise again and offer life to anyone who should believe. It all started with Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. You know, for the child of God, for those of you who believe in Jesus Christ and are children of God, it's Christmas every day. Every day. There isn't, we're not ready for it yet. It's Christmas every day because God is present in our lives. He has shown up. He is alive. And we know as children of God, it is I who no longer live, but Christ who lives in me, Emmanuel, God with us. And so all I should hear when I say I play Christmas music is, yes, it's Christmas season, and it's today. Paul is going to experience Christmas season as he's living out the Great Commission. Remember Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, And this is part of our vision statement. Therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So they become followers of Jesus Christ. And then, when they become followers of Jesus Christ, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then listen to the words of Jesus. And surely, here's the promise, surely I am with you always, And the language says this, I'm with you always, not just on Wednesdays, not on the weekends between the hours of three and five, I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. Paul is going to live that out, Paul is going to experience that as he's in jail, and he's going to experience it in a way that is so powerful to him. Christ's presence, Emmanuel, God with us. And so I pray for us that we would know truly that it's Christmas time right now. That Jesus is with us. That Jesus stands by us. And he's bringing his love and grace no matter what circumstance you're in right now. Let's pray for that this morning. Father, I just pray that we would truly know your presence this morning. That we would know it's 
Christmas all the time. Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we sometimes forget or we feel like you're distant and the truth is you're not. So come alongside those who are hurting and troubled and grieving and confused, weary, and lift them up with your amazing grace and love. May they know your presence this morning. In your precious name, amen. Let's go into Acts 23 as Paul experiences God's presence in the middle of trial and actually a literal trial that's going on. Verse 23 says this, that Paul was looking straight at them. He, he got thrown into this court case. It's a, basically a kangaroo court case. And he gets thrown into the middle of it. And Paul looks straight at them. He gazes intently at all those in the Sanhedrin. I think he looks at them closely because he knows some of them. He's a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. And so he knew some that were in the Sanhedrin. But he's also not backing down. He's looking straight at them. The idea is that he is staring at them. He is longing, a long gaze upon them. I think just kind of letting the Holy Spirit convict them. And so he looks upon them and he says, I have fulfilled my duty in good conscience. I have lived my life before the Lord with a clear conscience. It's been upright and virtuous. I've been one who has lived obedient to the law and also to Christ. I have been one who has followed the rules, so to speak. My character is pure before the Lord. And as he's saying this, what he's really saying, why in the heck do you have me here on trial? I have lived upright before God. And the truth is, we as followers of Jesus Christ live upright before God when we choose to say, I will follow you. I will be obedient to you. I desire to live for you. When we do that, that's upright before God. And then we know when we sin, but here's the joy of Christ. Christ says, hey, come to me. Confess your sin. I'm quick to forgive. Now rise up again and live for me. We are made righteous because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I have lived in such a way. And as he's saying this, Ananias, the high priest, is there. Josephus, who is one who uh, was a first century historian, calls Ananias, he was profane, he was greedy, he was hot-tempered, he was the worst. And he's the high priest. He hears these words of Paul, and he says, strike that man. Strike that man. Strike him on the mouth. And so he gets struck across the face. Well, what did Paul do? What was his crime? What was it that he said that offended the high court, the high priest? It might have been that he said brothers, as he's in the the middle of the Sanhedrin, brothers, there was a formal way that you would approach them, and you would say, rulers of Israel, elders of the people. So 
So maybe because he didn't do that, he was struck. He did use the term brothers, again, with maybe saying, wait a second, you're trying to put yourself on the same level as we are? Which he was, partly. I've been part of you. I've been a Pharisee. You are my brothers in that case. But how dare you put yourself on the same level? You're saying you've lived with good conscience. You're trying to come before us saying you're right before God. How dare you say such a thing? Basically saying you're perfect. That's the way we're taking it. Smack them. Strongly across the face. It's blasphemy. You don't come before the Lord and say that you have lived in a a way that is righteous and pure and your conscience is clear. We have a lot of laws that we have to follow to get there. None of us are there. What are you saying? For whatever reason, it may have just been Ananias really didn't like Paul. This guy is a troublemaker in our community. Smack him. And then when he gets struck in verse 23-3, like Senior Montoya, he says, surely you are going to die. You have struck me. He responds pretty strongly back, doesn't he? Basically, you're going to get it. You just won against me. God is going to strike you. There will be a response to this. And he's speaking as a strong prophet here. Because the reality is, several years later, Ananias was brutally murdered. God will strike you. So, I don't know about you, but I wrestled with this passage as far as this reaction to the high priest when he's struck. Is this righteous anger? Or is this just anger of the flesh and really sinning against the Lord? Is it righteous or flesh? How we respond to when we're treated with injustice. What took place here? It says you whitewashed wall. The priests wore white robes. There was whitewashed tombs outside of Jerusalem and they were whitewashed uh, with lime and, and, and we saw that you know, the tombs are looking white and pure and, and pretty. But the truth is, it's death. Jesus made a similar statement. You whitewash tombs to the Pharisees. You're stinking death. You're looking all white and pure on the outside, but you're death on the inside. You place judgment upon me. You, high priest, violate the law. He doesn't even know who he is. Here's what the oral tradition said of the time. said this. He who strikes the cheek of an Israelite strikes, as it were, the glory of God. That was a very held-on-to oral tradition. You don't strike the cheek of an Israelite. It's like striking God. Deuteronomy 19 says this. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense 
that they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Was that taking place? Absolutely not. You're violating the law of what's going on in our land. You accuse me, God is going to strike you back. They say, you have insulted, in verse 4, God's high priest. And his response in verse 5 is, I didn't know this was the high priest. How's that possible? How's that possible? You didn't know this was the high priest? There's been a lot of commentary on this. How is it that he didn't know? Some have said Paul's eyes were really bad. And they were. And so maybe he couldn't see. Maybe that's one of the reasons he stared a long time at the, the people. Others have said, because this was a quick kangaroo court, like people got brought in quickly, that the high priest wasn't wearing his robes. And so he wasn't able to identify. Again, Paul probably knew some of the Sanhedrin, but it had been a while since he'd been a Pharisee. So it would be okay to think he didn't know everybody in the, in the court. So maybe he didn't know this Ananias. So they looked different. He wasn't wearing his official robes. Maybe it's because what this person was speaking wasn't fitting of the law, right? The high priest to say, strike him, and you're judging you know, him. That's not, the high priest would never say that. So he can't be the high priest. That couldn't be taking place. I would suggest in this scene, I think Paul is being a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I think he's being sarcastic. I don't recognize the high priest here. Because, you see, the high priest is to reflect God. The high priest is to to be the mediator. The high priest is to live in a way that is righteous and godly. I don't recognize anybody in this court who's doing that. Especially you. I don't bow down to your authority. I don't see you as the high priest. You are not reflecting God's love, His character to the world. You are not representing God here. There is only one high priest, and his name is Jesus now. I think he's being tongue-in-cheek. You in no way, Ananias, you in no way look like you're intended to be as the high priest. You don't look like God at all in his character. I don't know who the high priest is here. You know, it's a question for all of us, isn't it? That statement. I don't recognize you as being one from God. Have you ever been convicted with that? Have you ever taken a close look in the mirror and go, do I reflect Christ and his love and his grace? When I walk out into the world, do I look like him? Do people know that I'm a follower of Jesus because His character is being lived out through me, his life? It's a great question for all of us. 
You know, when I was a young man, uh, 17, I worked uh, at Round Table Pizza. I was a, an assistant manager in Half Moon Bay, California, the only pizza place in town. And so the place was always packed, and it was just a, a fun deal. But my good, good friend, Kirk, who I hung out with all the time, one of my best friends, I'd always bring him down because I'd get a free pizza every day. And I'd say, hey, come have pizza with me. And he was always happy to do that. And so we'd come and we'd eat. And at my church, Peninsula Bible Church, which was 45 minutes away, uh, I told them one night over pizza, I said, hey, listen, um, our church is going to have a fifth quarter party after the Palo Alto uh, football game. And uh, it's going to be over at uh, Chuck E. Cheese, which at the time was a really cool place for uh, teenagers to hang out, all the video games. That was way back in the day. It wasn't just for little, it was like, it was the teenager cool place. And uh, I'm serious, it really was. <laughs> Weird high school kid. Um, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, hey, I'd love for you to come. And our church is going to be there, and a bunch of guys who play for Pally High. And, and, uh, and he looked at me dead face, and we spent, I mean, all of our time together. And he, go, he said this to me, 17 years old. He says, I didn't know you were a Christian. And I'm like, we literally pretty much spent every day together. And you had no idea I was a Christian. My life was just living in the world. And I was just trying to be popular at my high school in Half Moon Bay. And then I had my whole separate life at at my church. And the Lord used that moment to really convict me. And just go, Rod, what are you doing with your life? I don't recognize you as a Christian. We need to all ask ourselves that. And when we're not living as Christ would want us to live, and we're not reflecting his glory with our lives, say, Lord, forgive me, and Lord, help me. I want to live for you. I want people to know you because of the way I'm loving them and offering grace and truth. Paul didn't recognize Ananias. Was it a righteous anger? Like Jesus? You whitewashed wall, you hypocrite. I don't recognize your authority. Jesus saying, you whitewashed tombs, you brood of vipers. Because they were not living out what they were intended to be, which is to be a reflection of God and his glory, and his beauty, and his love, and his grace. They were not doing that. The Pharisees were failing at it miserably. And Jesus comes in strong, righteous anger. I mean, to call people brood of vipers, that's pretty strong. Whitewashed tombs. But not like Jesus, maybe? When Jesus was placed before the courts, and mocked and hit, Jesus did not attack back. In your anger, the scripture says, do not sin. Don't live out in the flesh when you're angry. Let me just share this passage out of 1 Peter chapter 2. But if you suffer, this is verse 20, for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example 
that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body, in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. That's how Christ responded to insult and to attack. You know, as I was reading this passage, was it righteous anger? Was it the flesh? And I think maybe a little bit of both. Paul's still prone to sin. I love how the scriptures always give us an honest humanity, right? We're broken. We're prone to sin. Even the great saints sinned greatly and then repented and went back to the Lord and said, Lord, forgive me. I love that. Paul's still prone to sin. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving us. Paul's in the middle of the situation, and he's responding in a way, he's speaking some real hard truth, but it's truth. You're not living like God intended you to live. But I think he's also reacting out of the flesh. And he's in the middle of the situation. The Jews are wanting to kill him. And he says to them first, something that that is going to speak to why he's on trial. Verse 6. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. You see, the Jews believed in the bodily resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees did, especially. Paul, I believe, was making references. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And more so than that, Like I've been sharing everywhere, I believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He rose again. His body rose again. And so we too, as we believe upon him, we shall rise with him and have life eternal as children of God. I'm on trial because of my hope in the resurrection. You see... The Pharisees believed, yes, there's a bodily resurrection. The Sadducees, who were there also, they didn't believe in that at all. They didn't believe in the spirits or the angels. The Pharisees totally believed in that. And then, so all of a sudden, there's this great dispute going on. There's a stirring up in the court. And Paul is right in the middle of it. The courtroom explodes. They literally want to tear him piece to piece especially the Sadducees. So once again, Paul gets taken out of the middle of this situation and he's locked up in the barracks. It's an interesting scene, isn't it? Sometimes you go, all scripture, God breathed. You're like, Lord, why why do you bring in this court case to our table? What do you want us to learn from this? Verse 11 is... It just kind of brings it all to, to culmination. It, it gives us this wonderful insight into who our Lord is. One of the questions I wanted to ask you is this. 
How do you think Paul is feeling at this point? He's taken out of the middle of this crazy mob, thrown into the barracks, and held there. Do you think he's feeling victorious? Yes! I let him know God's going to strike him. It's going to be awesome. I just won the battle. Do you think he's feeling discouraged? Do you think he's still feeling angry? Do you think he's scared? What's going to happen to me next? Everybody's trying to kill me. Am I going to die in this prison? How do you think he's feeling at this moment? Let me ask you another question. What do you think Paul's heart was for the Jewish people? He loved them, didn't he? Everywhere he went on his journeys, he was preaching the gospel. He would first go where? To the synagogues. You see, because he was a Jew that was radically transformed by the love of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9. And he can't shut up telling about Jesus. And he especially wants his Jewish brothers to know that, right? How's he feeling about that? What's his heart for the Jews? He wants them to be saved like he was. He wants them to be free. There's all these rules that are just weighty upon the people trying to live life and please God, and you can't do enough. He wants them to find freedom in Christ. In relationship with Jesus, their Savior. He's taken it all. You get right with God when you believe upon His Son and receive Him as Savior. I want you to know this. I think he's struggling in this moment as he's, as he's worried about his testimony now, future testimony to the Jewish people. And I think he's probably feeling that he lost his testimony. My reaction in the flesh lost my testimony in Jerusalem to the Jewish people. And I think he might, have a, might think it would have effect on his Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Remember, it's shame culture. It's everything's community. You don't just think about yourself as an individual. So I've got to be honest, I think he feels like he blew it. And he's sitting there alone and in this place of discouragement. You see, Jesus stands by us when we are discouraged. Jesus stands by us when we are discouraged. He's alone in his cell. He's feeling like he had blown it. He's wondering what's next. He's empty in his spirit. I think he's needy. And Jesus speaks right to that. Blessed are, Matthew 5, 3, the poor in spirit. You remember what that means? That means beggarly in spirit. That means needy in spirit. I can't do it on my own. I'm a failure. I need you, Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All the resource of our Lord is theirs. Paul is at a place alone in prison in the barracks. Paul is at this place 
And it's at this place that Jesus does his best work. And he does that with you and me. When we are beggarly in spirit. Verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul. Let me read that again. The following night, the Lord, Jesus, stood near Paul. And he said, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. He's there a whole night by himself. And I think he's wrestling. And you know what? I think the Lord is letting him wrestle. You ever have those dark nights of the soul? I think the Lord lets us wrestle. He's not absent. He's not distant. He's right there, but he lets us wrestle. Paul is wrestling right now. And then he comes in, and the Lord, Jesus, stood near Paul. Right there with us. I think physically present. Jesus. I think he's saying, Merry Christmas, Paul. God is with you. I'm not far away, never been. I am with you in the middle of your circumstance, which is scary and troubling and confusing. I'm with you. Genesis 15 and the covenant with Abram. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, because here's who I am. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. That's who I am. And I'm present. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Do you know that? I am with you. Brother Lawrence says this in the practice of the presence of God. We cannot avoid the dangers and the reefs of which this life is full of without a real and constant help of God. Let us ask for him to come be with us without ceasing. But how can we ask him without being with him? And how can we be with him without often thinking upon him? And how can we often think upon Jesus without forming a holy habit of doing so? That means I'm constantly going before my Lord and Savior and saying, God, I am beggarly in spirit. I need you. Lead my day. How can we know him when we're starting our day and we're just going 100 miles the opposite direction? The presence of God as we invite him in and as we are forming a habit where I want relationship with you, Jesus, 
And that means I'm going to spend time with you in prayer and in worship and in life. Paul had a holy habit of thinking upon and talking to Jesus. And Jesus met him in this moment in a powerful way. Jesus shows up and he stands with Paul. And he does the same with you and me. He does that with you and me in the hospital room. He's present right there. In that difficult meeting that's coming up with your boss, he stands with you right there. As you're trying to figure out how to parent your your children who are struggling, he stands with you. He is present. When you're both sitting on the couch with your marriage counselor wondering, how is this marriage ever going to survive? He's right there with you. He's present. In those many sleepless nights from one till four in the morning, he's definitely present with you there. And I would encourage you in those sleepless nights to just read your scriptures. Let him speak to you. Know he's present. Many of us have those. Jesus stands with us. He's by our side. And I can almost imagine Jesus as he lets Paul wrestle and then he finally shows up so that he'll know his presence. I can picture Jesus just wrapping him up in his arms of grace. And it really is arms of grace. And so he comes by his side and he says this. He speaks these beautiful words. In the King James, it actually says, Be of good cheer. You know, you got to be kidding. Be of good cheer. The idea is be of courage. Be confident. Be hopeful. Trust me that I'm going to move you ahead. Be bold. Maintain the course. Christ is the only one who speaks this word. It's just one word in the Greek. Tharseo. Be of courage. Christ in the New Testament is the only one who speaks these words. He speaks it when he heals the the one who is crippled on the mat. He speaks it to the woman of bleeding. Take courage, I have healed you. He speaks it while he's walking on water to his disciples. Take courage, don't be afraid. He speaks it to his disciples when he's getting ready to be crucified and they're scared to death. Take heart. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. I always am. I stand by you. I walk with you. And so let us be a people Let us be a people who come alongside, who just show up. My dad always says that. Just show up. Even when you don't feel like it or you're a little nervous, just show up. Be Jesus. Come and be Jesus in the flesh, standing by each other's side. Offer words of encouragement as the Lord leads. Offer grace like the Lord does. And I think he offers a beautiful grace to Paul. Hey, Paul, just as you've testified 
for me in Jerusalem. You're not done yet. I forgive you for reacting in flesh. You're not done yet. Now I want you to go and testify about me in Rome. Don't give up. Let me finish with a story. There's a wonderful pianist in Poland who was one of the greatest. Ignacy Jan Podreski. And there's folklore story about him. And the story goes like this. A, a mother who had a young son got tickets to see Podreski play. And she showed up and she got, she got front row tickets. Spent a lot of money. Her young son was just learning how to play the piano. And so they show up at the theater and, and it's alive and everybody's so excited to see the great master play. And the mother's talking to some friends and she realizes all of a sudden her son's missing. He took off. And just at that moment, the lights went down and then the lights came on to, to show the artist play. But everybody kind of had a little gasp because her young son had climbed up on the stage where the Steinway was and started to play. And he started to play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. That's all he knew. But then Podreski shows up and he comes up behind the young boy on the piano and he whispers in his ear and he says, Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep playing. And then the master starts to play around him, obligato. And all of a sudden, this amazing, beautiful piece is played. The whole auditorium is filled with awe at the beauty of this. As the great master came and said to the young boy, don't quit. Let me play with you. I'm right here with you. And they played this song that glorified God and the beauty of it. Don't quit, Paul. Testify about me. I am with you always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that you are truly present with us always. That you love us right in the middle of our circumstance and and that you let us wrestle with what we're going through, but you're not distant. You're not far away. I thank you that you come along our side and, and you remind us of our value and who we are in you. I thank you, Father, that you encourage us and you offer grace when we fail. Thank you that you remind us, don't quit, I have more for you. And so help us to keep living in righteousness. We desire to do that. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.